Welcome to the encore of episode 73 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It has been so fun going down memory lane and sharing stories from a few years ago. I'd forgotten this one, which in its own way is a lesson. Listen in and see if you get what I mean. I did a thing. It pushed me way outside my comfort zone. And now that it's behind me, I'm feeling victorious. I swing danced with my wife and two students in a Dancing with Professors show. That, all on its own, would be enough to make me uncomfortable, and I still can't believe I said yes. To make this an even bigger challenge, my nearly three-year-old joined us on stage. Not one for choreography, we had no idea what he would do. He did great. You may be wondering what caused me to the disbelief of my wife to agree to participate. It was just a couple of weeks before the show, and I knew finding time for rehearsing would not be easy. I knew I didn't want to look foolish. I knew this was way outside my comfort zone. I heard myself saying yes and saw my wife's eyes widen as she heard my response. It was unexpected. But in that second, I realized I'm always asking my clients to push themselves outside of their comfort zone, to stretch themselves, to dream bigger. That never gets easy, but it does become less daunting if you make it a habit. Each time you say yes, you do so while thinking back to all the other times you said yes and made something magical happen that you didn't think was possible. As my wife asked me to do this seemingly impossible thing, in my head, I heard a phrase I often tell my clients. Don't be attached to the outcome, create possibilities. I was creating possibilities for me and my wife to brush off the routine from our first dance as a married couple five years earlier and the opportunity to spend time together rehearsing. I was creating possibilities for our family to have fun together and adding to the collection of videos I would love to share at my son's wedding decades from now. I wasn't saying yes with a specific outcome in mind, but I know good things come from saying yes. Your challenge this week. Practice saying yes to things that push you outside your comfort zone. You can start small. Raise your hand and speak up if you're often quiet in meetings. Send an email to an influencer in your field. Thank them for something specific and then ask their advice. Sign up for a course or to work with a coach knowing you're going to be asked to do things you don't feel ready to do. You know those moments when you feel the angst rise in your chest and you wonder what you're getting yourself into? Resist saying no right away. Say yes more often than not. Try this and let me know how it goes. Before we dive into this week's interview, are you interested in learning more about working with me, either through a half-day deep dive or a coaching package, or maybe you want to know more about my mastermind program for entrepreneurial women? Check out my programs at robbysamuels.com forward slash coaching, and then schedule a chat so we can See how I could support you around leveraging your virtual network to grow your business. Also, a variation of the story I shared today was first published in my weekly email on November 12th, 2018, and will be featured in my new book coming out later this year. 
Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest went from high school English teacher to Broadway producer in under two years. How? Relationships. He's a social catalyst who believes in the power of making meaningful connections for others. His success led him to develop a methodology that he teaches through his company, Small Pond Enterprises, which specializes in relationship design for founders, authors, and speakers interested in playing a bigger game. He works with thought leaders to curate, extend, and leverage their existing networks. He cemented his reputation as a connector by founding ConnectorCon, a conference for a powerful community of thoughtful connectors who recognize the power of living in a world of abundance rather than scarcity. And he co-hosts the Access to Anyone podcast. Please join me in welcoming Michael Roderick. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Michael, thank you so much for joining me from your office in New York City. You have this like amazing, almost fairy tale story. That <laughs> I every time I talk about you and I mention this like high school English teacher to Broadway producer in two years, people are like, that what? <laughs> Obviously, the answer to this is that you're really, really good at developing relationships with people that go beyond like just the business cards that we all see people doing. At what point in your career or in your life, did you realize that that relationships for you is really the main way you're going to be successful in life? I think it actually goes all the way back to when I was teaching high school. Um, one of the things that I found in terms of just being successful in teaching in teaching high school was the fact that most teachers uh, are sort of presented with this idea of you're at the front of the room and you're dumping this information into these kids' brains, right? And uh, they're supposed to, you know, do well on their test and they're, you're responsible for being the, the you know, authority in the, whole, in, in the whole game. And one of the things that I did that was different that made me very successful as a teacher was I was in a similar position to these kids at some at some point in my life. You know, I I remembered what it was like to be a student. Mm. And that aspect of being able to remember what it's like to be in a position like being a student and you know, having a long day and being bored and having it be sixth period and, you know, just being able to be conscious of what other people are feeling and, and going through was a major factor in my ability to not only connect with my students, but also to connect with other faculty, right? I ended up in, while I was teaching, I ended up in positions where I was the head of the English department. I was one of the youngest heads of the English department. I was one of the youngest uh, deans of discipline when they had uh, summer school. I got hired in this like administrative position. And I honestly, you know, look at that and it's like, well, I took the time to understand what other people needed and what other people were looking for. And that's always been at the, at the heart of, of my work is really taking the time to basically say, okay, how is the other person feeling? What's going on in what's going on in their life, uh, regardless of what's going on in mine? It, the word empathy is just resonating in my brain right now. That that you you're able to empathize with their situation, whether it's the student or maybe it's a, a harried and rushed coworker who you know has too much on their plate, and you you're like, I can understand that. That's why they're being maybe a little quick and curt with me. What do they need? How can I support them better than just like 
you know, responding in kind. Maybe I could, you know, be more thoughtful and more supportive. And then the change is dynamic, I imagine. Like when you're able to say, whoa, wow, it seems like there's a lot going on right here. Like beyond just this little thing, is there something else I could do? In fact, I thought of three things. Are any of these good? You know, like I imagine like that as you practice it, it gets a little easier. But when you were first trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, was that easy for you or was that still like it kept switching back to like your own needs first? I, I think that in the early stages, if, if I were to go back to when I very, very first started raising money as a, as a producer, um, there was that aspect of, uh, I really, you know, I needed to raise money. I needed to get these people to write, uh, larger checks. So, uh, there were plenty of mistakes when I first, when I first got started in that process that really taught me a lot. Uh, and one, uh, that, uh, I actually don't talk about very often, um, because it was, uh, it was just one of those, like, how does how do these types of things happen in life? Kind of <laughs> kind of scenarios. Um, I had had a friend who I knew from back home. Who, when I had seen him last, he was doing very very well. He was the he was at like a very top management position. When I had visited him, he was in this kind of like huge house and had a really nice car and all these things. And I remember when I was raising money for my first off Broadway show, I immediately thought of this person. Because I was like, wow, well, he's doing fantastic. Like, I should totally reach out to him because this is the type of thing that he might be excited about, et cetera. Yeah. And I reached out and I wrote this long email that I totally thought was like, I am being so good. I'm like, you know, describing the opportunity. I'm describing the investment. I'm talking about how awesome it is to be part of a Broadway project and all these different types of things. And I get an email back and I find out uh, that he lost his job, uh, that uh, he's not doing well at all, uh, and that his uh, wife uh, had just found out that she had cancer. Ouch. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I'll never forget the last line of the email. It was, you know, the next time you reach out to somebody and say that you want to check in, you really need to do just that. Mm. And, you know, that for me was a really, really powerful moment because I was this young hotshot basically trying to raise money uh, and I wasn't thinking about others, even though I had done it in the education space and, you know, and, uh, and in other areas. So basically, you know, I had done, you know, I, I had, I had acted in this, in this way in education. I was, I was very empathetic, but when I was in this position and I call this asking blinders and everybody suffers from this in some capacity, if there is something that you really, really want, all of your prior education kind of goes out the window. So regardless of how good you are, regardless of how smooth you are, if you get into a position where you really, really want something, there is a part of your brain that shuts down. And we, we stopped thinking rationally. And that was totally what happened. And it taught me a lesson that you always take the time to understand what is going on with somebody else before you present to them whatever it is you could use help with or, or support in. You always take the time to find out what is going on in somebody else's life because it's so, so easy to miss those 
those moments uh, mm-hmm. and they're really, really important to relationship building. Yeah, I hear this. I, I actually remember uh, years ago, I did a presentation for Marriott uh, regional catering sales managers. You know, their job is to like call and try to get new business all the time. And I said, you know, one simple thing you can do is look on the public calendar of the organization you're reaching out to. And if I'm two weeks before or two weeks after an event, if you're going to still reach out to me, acknowledge <laughs> that I'm in the middle of that. <laughs> yep. Like, hey, I know this might not be the best time right now. When would be a better time? I know you've got a big event coming up. I'm really excited to hear how it goes. Let's talk after. Wow, I would be so like thrilled to get that call. And then when you did call me two weeks later, I would be thrilled to take a minute to tell you how it went and then go back into your sales pitch. Um, very different than just cold, literally cold calling me as if I was just like on a spreadsheet. And uh, I just think that nowadays, there's so much information that's available. We, we all can do, if it's important enough to reach out, we can do this little extra effort. Uh, I, that was a very challenging lesson though for you to learn, particularly with a, with a good friend of yours, um, it, that there's humility in, in learning. <laughs> in, <Yes. laughs> um, and that we don't all, always get that right. Where, when you were making this shift from uh, you know, the, the, the English teacher kind of role and then thinking about yourself in more of a producer role, what was, what was challenging? Is, was it something on your own, like how you thought of yourself or was there actual, were there actual barriers of knowledge? Like what was the thing you had to kind of overcome and how did you overcome that? Sure. So it really came down to first understanding the industry. I didn't understand the industry. I just sort of knew that producers made shows happen. I didn't really know the logistics of it. I didn't really know the breakdown of it. So uh, I found out about different programs that would teach Broadway producers sort of their, you know, the process and how it all worked. And I signed up for a number of those programs. I went to a conference around it. I went to, uh, I did a 14 week intensive where basically they sort of walk you through like, this is how you raise money and this is why you raise money. And here are all the logistics. And what I did was I kind of studied the industry and noticed that a lot of people were concerned with credit. So in the Broadway producing world, it's about, you know, having your name above the title on something and rightly so, you know, to, to have that opportunity to have your name on something is a, is an exciting thing within the entertainment space. But I wanted to get better at raising money. Like I wanted to learn how to do the core thing that producers needed to do. So rather than reaching out to producers and saying, Hey, I want to work on your show and this is the credit that I want to get. I would say, listen, I want to get better at raising money. I don't need my name on anything right now. I just need practice basically. Wow. I can't imagine (laughs) what their response. So my background is fundraising. And if someone was like, I had put myself through a 14 week intensive, but now I need real life experience. And particularly if they weren't, uh, you know, they're not a college student, you're, you're a professional wow, like that's a pro bono, you know, professional service you're, you're saying I'm offering. 
did they were they leery of that offer or were they excited by it? Most most people were excited by it. You you are always going to have people who are uh, who are like, well, we need to make sure we have something in writing because I don't want you coming back to me later, you know, and all those types of things. But it's really interesting that you you talked about just now that that aspect of. Uh, you know, going through a process and and not sort of saying like, oh, I've been through this whole process, so I deserve or I'm I'm owed sort of this level in the industry. I mean, I remember I interned with a Broadway producer at age, I think I was 23 while I was still teaching. And I was totally happy to lick envelopes and ah. around, yeah. and carry, you know, and, because... Um, this producer, uh, Ken Davenport, who's just an absolute genius, he was uh, a great mentor. And I was totally happy to do whatever we, we needed to do in that office, regardless of how simple it was, in order to be able to learn about that industry, learn things from him, understand, be able to be a fly on the wall during a lot of those processes of raising money and all those different types of things. And it's really, really interesting, uh, and this is actually something I, um, I I haven't thought too much about. But I think that there is uh, a very, very interesting conversation around the idea of age uh, in in regards to what you're willing to do. And very, very often we say, "Well, I've got you know, I've gotten, I've done all this stuff, I have all this experience, so I don't need to do this this thing." 20 year olds do that thing. 15 year olds do that thing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm past that. <laughs> and that's and exactly it. I'm past that. And, and honestly, if you want to learn something, I feel like it doesn't matter how, you know, how old you are, like do, do some of that work, try it out because you'll, you'll meet people that you really need to meet. And there's so many opportunities and you miss so many opportunities by like, it is very foolish to think you are above anybody else or any any particular project. Uh, I, I just I remember even as a producer when I would do shows on these smaller levels. Yeah, I was still the one cleaning up the programs after the show. I was <laughs> the one who you know washed the floor or worked with the set designer on like building the set because sometimes you do you got to get your you know you got to get your hands dirty and make that happen. So you're making me think about. Um, this idea of how do you offer value. Um, and that's the thing that comes up a lot when I work with people. It's like, well, how do I, you know, I, I don't have anything to offer. I'm a 23 year old, uh, you know, teacher. And, but I really want to learn this thing. And so you knew that you want to be mentored by someone great. And, you know, what does that person need? Well, they need an intern who's willing to lick envelopes <laughs> yeah. and run errands and do anything in service to the office running smoothly. And then as you do good things, they will give you bigger projects, right? They'll give you more ownership as you sort of prove yourself. Um, but you have to be open to that idea and you have to be really kind of inventive. What are some other ways you offer value as you're building connections and relationships? There's a couple of different things uh, that, you, that you can do. Um, and I, I actually created a, a, a mnemonic around this at one point um, that spelled the words rise up. Uh, and uh, so, so the R is referrals. And any person, no matter what level you're at, you can find out from somebody what their business is. You can figure out what people are willing to pay. And you can talk to somebody and say, hey, 
this person has this service. Are you interested in this service? If so, I'd be happy to make an introduction. It doesn't matter what level you're at. You can do that. It doesn't, it, you know, you could be an intern, you could be still in college, like you could, no matter what, referrals are an easy uh, way to way to add that sort of value and add that opportunity. The I is for introductions. And, you know, for some people, they're, you know, they're at really high levels and they can make big introductions. But for others, they may know somebody who just knows a little bit more than the person that they're, they're trying to help. And, you know, we, uh, I've probably talked ad nauseum about, about this, uh, but, you know, you need to make sure that the intro is a double opt-in. So you need to make sure both parties are okay with it. But if you're, as long as you're following that rule, you still at whatever level can, can do that. Uh, the S is for strategy. And a lot of time people think, oh, well, I know a certain amount about something. Am I really, a, you know, am I really a strategist? Like, could I really help? But even if you're a 17 year old who's spent more time on Snapchat than a 45 year old, you have some strategy to offer there. You have like, there's a, there's a fantastic story out there about the social media for Hamilton, where the uh, producer, uh, Jeffrey Seller, uh, had met with this young kid and basically just like talk to him about social media. And it wasn't even about like hiring him or working, et cetera. And he ended up firing his uh, advertising agency and then just called this kid up. So now this kid started doing, you know, social media for Hamilton. And then all of a sudden that blew up. And then, you know, now he's got this whole like social media. Wow. What a great example. Right. So yeah. it's like you just, you know, a lot of the time I think the mistake that people make uh, specifically with strategy is they think that whatever they've learned is not worthy enough or not cool enough or, or not deep enough uh, to sort of help and add value. And the fact of the matter is you, you've done a deeper dive into something than somebody else. It's not like if you don't, you know, if you offer that opportunity to teach them that you're going to have any kind of, uh, um, you know, somebody be like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to learn it at all. You know, right, mo right. most people want to learn a little bit more about something that they don't know. Um, the E is for events and you get invited to events and sometimes you can't go to those events or sometimes somebody gives you a free ticket and says, you know, do you want, you know, invite a friend people that you're get, trying to get to know and trying to develop more relationships with, you can reach out to them and say, Hey, I got invited to this thing. Would you like to come? Mm -hmm. And for them, it's an exciting you know, type of thing. Uh, the U is for unknowns. And what I mean by that is that we all end up finding all of these like different technologies that are out there. And for some of us, we know them like the back of our hands and we're like, that's fantastic and so useful. But there are a bunch of people who've never studied that, you know, that particular tool. And they have no idea that it even exists. So if you're the person who introduces some new technology to somebody or some new workshop that they've never heard of or a book that they've never heard of, it can be a major, major game changer because they don't know that it exists. And I remember one time I was talking to somebody had exited one of his companies doing really, really well, but was talking about just sort of being overwhelmed. And I talked about um, uh, the book Essentialism 
and recommended it to him. And then he reads it and he sends me this email back being like, this book is saving my life right now. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. So, so it's like when you have, there are things that you learn about, you can always float it out there and be like, hey, have you ever heard of this? And if they haven't, you're adding value. And then the last one, uh, which is the P, is for press. And the mistake that most people make around press is that they think like, I need to pitch myself to whoever's writing for whatever publication. And those people don't want to hear you pitching yourself. What they want to hear is that you can make their life easier. So with press, you always want to be a source. You want to talk to them about what kind of stuff they write and then reach out to them and say, hey, I met somebody who actually could be a really great fit for your roundup post. Yeah, yeah. Or I met somebody who uh, I think, you know, you could uh, could be a really good person to feature because you've been focusing on you know this this type of stuff. And again, you don't need a ton of experience for this. All you need to do is pay attention to what people are writing and then reach out and just throw out some ideas. If they like the idea, they'll keep talking to you. If they don't, maybe they'll ignore you. But it's just yeah. like, so simple. I love that I asked you this question because this mnemonic rise up. It really covers such a wide array of strategies and systems and, and ideas. And I love the, the unknown one because like, I feel like part of what you have to do is be yourself a curious person who's willing to like, be open and learning and has a, 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 a good like, knowledge base in, in one area, but is also like, aware of other things. And so you can have a conversation about a variety of topics. Um, and on the other hand, you have to be like curious enough about the other person to think about, well, well, oh, have you ever thought of this? You know, or let me make a suggestion. Um, I feel like I offer a lot of tech tips. It's like one of my, like in my back pocket, I've got like five or six, you know, little technology productivity tips that I love and that I use. And, you know, people are like, and, I, and people see me as a very busy professional and I don't, at the same time, I'm not like, ah, I can't, I don't know, nothing's going right. You know, they're like, yeah. well, how do you keep track of everything? And I'm like, oh, well, what are you struggling with? Like calendar appointments or, you know, following up? Like, and depending on that, like we have a whole conversation and that could really, like you said, change, change their life. <laughs> you know, like yep. having a really good method for something that prior had been, you know, a pile of post-it notes, that's a really big shift. So I, I love the idea of like trying to put that into practice because uh, too many people say it's just, oh, I don't know. I can't possibly meet, you know, Ken. He's such an important uh, producer. What could I, what possible value could I offer him? Um, so I, I want to hear a little bit about what you do these days, but I want to ask it in a different way than I think mostly. I, I don't want to be like, what do you do? Because sure. I hate that question. No <laughs> um, worries. So, so I want to ask you what you find most rewarding about the work that you do? Sure. I would say the thing that I find most rewarding is watching other people discover what they've, I guess the, it's almost like the Wizard of Oz. Like you've, you've, you've had the shoes on your, your feet the whole time, you know, like I, I can't tell you the number of times that with clients, there's something that they've, they've done in the past or there's something that they know or that they understand, but they've never really dug deep enough into that to to turn into their own thought leadership material right they've 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 always kind of known something uh as sort of like a, oh i know i do this i'm i'm good at this but they've never sat down and actually codified it and said okay well what is my actual process what is the legacy 
that, you know, I want to create in the world. And when you dig deep with somebody and they come to an understanding of what that is and they create that thing and then you see how different they're perceived, it's, it's such an exciting thing. And that for me is, is, is so rewarding when you have somebody like I had a client one time who he was in the commercial directing space. So, uh, you know, these people, they have to pitch to agencies and they have to, they, they have to do, you know, all these like very, very involved conversations to hopefully get, you know, one video opportunity that sometimes can lead to more, but it's a, it's a very, very tough world. And one of the things that we did was we looked at what does he not want to do? You know, and, and how there were all these other commercial directors who were kind of saying like, oh, I can be anything, you know, just hire me or just like work with me. And with him, we really dialed in on this is the type of work that you do really, really well and everything else you would pass on to somebody else. And when he did that, when he started to just, you know, be very, very clear on what his method was and his process was... He ended up booking six gigs over the course of six months. Wow. Because the, it was just super clear to people. They knew exactly what they were going to hire him for, and they knew what they weren't going to hire him for. Yeah, this actually reminds me. Um, I'm a member of the National Speakers Association, and there's this guy, Chris West, who's getting a shout-out here. Um, he has a company called Video Narrative, and he stumbled upon his audience he worked with a speaker. He, you know, he had been a video guy. He'd do any kind of and videos. You know, I could do video for anyone. And he stumbled across this, and he liked it. And he was good at helping them craft their story, and and not just do a speaker reel in like the old way, but like in a new kind of vibrant way. And part of it was that he got them to think about their work differently. So he made a decision, a tough decision, to just that's it. I'm not doing anyone else but speakers. And that first couple of years, people keep sending you other leads and you have to keep being like, no. And now that's who he is. Like, every, and, and the entire like, you know, National Speakers Association, all the chapters work with him. He presents the conference. Like he's an invaluable asset to that profession because he chose to niche, right? And you and I are in this space where everyone talks about riches are in the niches. And it's really it can be so hard when you're starting out. And I now want to disclose that you're actually my coach. <laughs> and we are having this conversation just earlier today because I'm in this networking space and I could, I could help anybody. And I think I was having the problem of figuring out, well, who do I want to work with? Or more importantly, who don't I want to work with? Which I think is a start. Like you've got at least, who don't I want to work with? And it's really, it's a very difficult thing. But, you know, part of my work has been uh, social justice and diversity. And I, I think the word that comes up most often is being inclusive and inclusion. It's in my book title. It's in the work that I've done in the world. It's, it's, like, it's funny how evident it is to everyone else that that's my brand. And I was the one who was getting a little stuck. Like, what do I know? What am I known for? I don't know. So I now want to like ask you some questions about that because you, you're someone who's really good at networking. And, and by that, I don't mean collecting business cards. I, I mean, actually <laughs> building relationships. You're a connector's connector, I guess is how I'll call it. You know, like the, the, the way you think about the world and, and diversifying your network is, I think, a, a struggle that people have that some of them don't even know they have. Like it, yeah. 
they're like, why can't I figure out how to fill these positions in ways that are, you know, have meaningful connections with people? Like maybe I, I, uh, I want my staffing to reflect the people we serve kind of way, you know, like, you know, or I want my staffing to reflect the demographics of our neighborhood or the, the area we serve or something like that. And like, they're like, but we keep not having that happen. And it's like, for me, I think part of it's the people we associate with. So how do you approach not just being with other, you know, cis white men in New York? <laughs> I mean, you're in New York City. You're in like yeah. the culturally most diverse area in the world. And even there, I imagine it, you could just associate with, you know, only people like yourself. But I imagine that that's not your approach. So what is, what is your take on that? And how do you, how do you make those efforts? Well, I think, you know, the first thing, it, it, the, the first step really is awareness. Like you have to, you have to be willing to look around a room and decide, am I comfortable with the fact that everybody else in this room looks and sounds like me? And there are lots of people out there who are, t- who are happy to be comfortable yeah. with that. Yes. Because they're, they're, they're like, it's safe. It's, you know, I, like, I know, I know these people, it's totally fine. And then there are others who they look around and they say, you know what, there's, there's the problem here. And uh, I actually, I go back to my teaching. I was in a very, very diverse school. Um, So uh, white students were the minority for the most part in my classrooms and, you know, I, uh, I had cornflakes thrown at me my first year. Um, I, you know, I certainly had, you know, uh, a number of jokes made about, you know, the, the fact that I was coming from Rhode Island and, uh, you know, I, I was lucky enough to not have the Peter Griffin accent that uh, some of my colleagues from Rhode Island uh, had had um, because I had had all the theater training. But, you know, what it ultimately came down to was this aspect of interests have no race, gender, like there's no, um, there's no diversity problem in interests, Mm. right? So if somebody is interested in acting as a student, it doesn't matter what their race is. It doesn't matter what their sexual orientation is. It doesn't matter uh, what their economic background is. They're interested in being an actor. And, you know, to do, you know, performances and musical theater performances where you have students who are diverse, present, you know, playing characters who, in many cases in musical theater especially, are not diverse, it's a very, very powerful thing. So I think, you know, one of the things that you can do is think about this from the angle of interests and start to ask yourself, okay, what are the other things that I'm interested in and who is in this world? And if you notice that, wow, very few people uh, are in this world who look different, why is that, right? So you know, in the theater world, there have been a lot of initiatives to get more women uh, in as writers and to have, you know, more female playwrights and more female directors. And there's been initiatives, uh, there's one called, I think it's 30-30 by, uh, 50-50 by 2020 or something like that, 
um, where they want to, you know, they, they want to have that be a little more, you know, a little more even. And I think it's one of those things where if you want to create diversity within your network, then you have to look at the interests that you have and you have to look around and ask yourself, am I including other people and am I giving those other people, other people a voice? Because frankly, you know, a lot of conversations around uh, inclusion and diversity are uh, very, um, how do I even say this? I feel like they're just very, I'm trying to think of like, what's the, I, I guess just condescending. Like, you know, like most of the stuff that I hear when people talk about diversity and inclusion, and I heard this when I was in the education space. I heard this when I was in the startup world. I heard this, you know, I hear this in the entrepreneurial world, uh, you know, is around this like, we need to get more of this category of person right. as if you're going to it's like Kmart. Exactly. Yeah. And being like, okay, I'm going to pick this many and then that's going to give me a diverse audience. And we can't just, you know, think about it in the context of, oh, I need to make sure that my subway poster looks, uh, looks like everybody would want to be a part of, uh, a part of my thing. Yeah, I think it's about having those conversations and bringing people into those conversations and letting them be part of uh, part part of those stories and not hiding uh, in in a world that is just everybody around us looks like us. I, I appreciate so much of what you just said, and I'm, I'm going to uh, particularly uh, deepen a little bit what you said right at the end about diversity and inclusion. So diversity, in some ways, is is often an, uh, a numeric count of people on staff or percentage of audience or some something like that where you literally can just like look out and say okay we have this many women or this many people of color and inclusion is that next step where people actually are are welcomed into the space like it's different than you just invite them in but they they feel like it's their space and then of course there's like the empowerment piece where they're now co co-running whatever that space is. They're co-authoring that space. They're, the experience is not being given to them. They're co-creating it. And I think that's when like the ownership is real and the community is real and you're, you're so beyond diversity. Um, and for me, like I've often thought about, you know, my, my birthday parties, like who comes to them? you know, because it's like a celebration of me. <laughs> um, and, you know, why would people come if they didn't have a relationship with me? So I, I sort of think about that sometimes. But also, like you said, like you take your interests and then you think, well, who's missing? But awareness, I, yes, I would say awareness. I'm gonna have to draw have a whole diagram on this now after this conversation, because I really think people need some help with this. I know there are more and more initiatives out there to try to diversify. Um, you know, in, in many different industries and we all feel it in some way, um, the need, but I mean, we, we have to think about a different way of approaching it. And I'm, I'm also happy to hear your thoughts on this because I, I, it's, I know that you like live and breathe the thoughts on, um, just you're good at relationships in general. So one of the things I, I related to all this though, is the balance uh, or integration of what you're doing in your home life. And like me, you've got a young one at home. So I, I feel like a work-life balance is a myth, <laughs> but integration, like, is it just life to you? Like, I'll ask it this way. How do you know when you're not working? How do you, how, what, what is evidence that you're not working? 
Sure. Um, I think I know that I'm not working when I'm not near, uh, when I'm not near a screen. Uh, you know, ultimately uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, one of those things where, you know, I do have to, I have to check my email. I have to go and do interviews like this. Like, you know, there, there, uh, there's sort of that, uh, that element of separation. So, you know, and I think one thing that really helps me is separating my work environment from my home environment. So really framing it, even if I'm working at home, I will only work in a certain room. Um, so I won't bring my work into a room that's not a work room. So I know that if I'm in that room, my job during that time is to be playing with my daughter, you know, or, or you know, having a conversation with my wife. It's not about me you know, answering an email or solving a particular problem or working, you know, and, and that for me is one of the, it is one of the more powerful things. Uh, I've also made it a point and I, I read this book called Your Brain at Work by uh, David Rock. And it's this fascinating book that talks about sort of what's happening physiologically in the brain when we work and how like certain things are triggered and not triggered. And there's one section of it that talks about the fact that, when we get some of our best ideas, the whole like best ideas in the shower concept comes from this idea that when we're focused and thinking about something, we usually can't put the pieces together. It's when we're doing some menial, silly activity that the pieces sort of form usually in a subconscious, in a subconscious manner. So one of the things that I've made it a point to do is if I finish a meeting, and I'm walking to another meeting, I don't look at my phone from the walk from that meeting to the next meeting. So that I can just kind of let everything just kind of simmer and cook and, and do its own, you know, and do its own thing. I think of this as a white space for our brains. Yeah. That, you know, um, we used to have a lot more of it. We used to have, you know, if we were standing and waiting for a bus or a train or, you know, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, maybe there'd be a boom box in distance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like there wouldn't be a lot for our brain to do other than think and just yep. like be, um, you know, on the train ride or bus ride, maybe we'd read a book, but like, I feel like now, like we're plugged in all the time. And, um, someone said to me once, like, you know, why do you look at your phone while you're walking? Wouldn't it be better to get where you're going faster? <laughs> <laughs> and then have a minute to look and it's like oh that's interesting too <laughs> like like i'm not saving time i'm not being efficient yep. um if i if yep. i'm fooling myself into thinking i'm being efficient you know so i, I think yeah they, those are both really great tips to think about what room you work in um that's like a, a tell for you to have your brain sort of switch gears and to give your brain that white space to like just be be in the yeah like thinking about what you just heard and and how does it all kind of flow together? Um, this is what makes you so smart, Michael. See, it's the white space. <laughs> <laughs> I've been asking this question of a lot of people lately, and I, I'm wondering what your take is on not just meeting a lot of people, um, but how do you nurture, like how, how are you purposeful about nurturing those connections? Like, like are you, do you have a system? Do you have a practice? Is it whimsical? 
Um, so I have a spreadsheet with um, all of the people that I make introductions for. And these are the people that I have met that I've had some kind of one-on-one interaction with, that I've had a phone call with, uh, and that I know. Like, I have an understanding of who they are and and their type of personality. Uh, I have a rule that I'm not going to make an introduction until I've had a conversation with you so I know what personality type you are. Uh, And the reason for that is... I want to make sure that if you are uh, somebody who is very short and quick to the point, uh, and I'm going to introduce you to somebody who's very laid back and loosey-goosey, that that person understands that you're a very short and quick to the point person. Uh, Because a lot of the time, introductions fall flat because we're not prepared for what we're about to receive. And uh, I see this all the time uh, when people are making introductions. They don't think about what is the personality of this particular individual and do those personalities match? Uh, and I think this is one of the reasons why in the past I've, I've had people come back to me after an introduction and say, this person has become my best friend. Uh, or, you know, this person has become a major mentor to me and somebody who I've stayed in touch with over a, a long time because I'm paying attention to personality in addition to capability. And uh, that is one major factor. So I have the spreadsheet. And on the spreadsheet, I have uh, basically my blurb for them, like how I would introduce them, what types of you know, things I, I would say about them. I have a column that is specifically geared towards their industry. So what industry they're in and also whatever title they have so that I can just search that uh, spreadsheet if somebody tells me that they're trying to meet a certain type of person. So if somebody says, you know, I'd really love to meet more people uh, in marketing, I can just go and I can filter the column for marketing. I can see all the people that I know that have marketing in there. This is crazy organized. Okay. Wow. So two questions. One is, when did you start doing this particular level? And two, what does it take for someone to get on the list? Like, how do you know when you're going to add them? Sure. Um, so, okay. So I'll start with when I started. Um, I started doing it when I found that I was making, you know, sometimes 10 or 15 introductions after a meeting. Uh, and it was, it was at the earlier stages of everything. So I was very, very, uh, like my brain was always on fire when I was meeting people and I knew like, Oh, these people would be great. Uh, you know, and I, and I had all these ideas and, uh, you know, all these different types of things. And I realized, you know, I am typing the same thing over and over and over again. Is there a faster way to do this? So when I started the spreadsheet, I was like, Oh, I can just cut and paste from this spreadsheet. And then, like, I always have that intro, so it's just, like, a simple process, right? Um, And that's really where it started. It started from a place of simplicity, but then I realized, oh, my God, I've created a search tool. Mm. Uh, And and while I was working in, uh, basically, I worked for a little while in a tech startup, and one of the things I had to do was I was responsible for managing a team of 15 teachers who were creating uh, math lessons that were being uploaded onto a software platform. So what I had to do was I had to search through a spreadsheet of these teachers to figure out like when did they actually upload their information and was it done properly and all this other stuff. So I learned a lot about filtering 
with spreadsheets and searching with spreadsheets. So when I had gotten done with the the startup world uh, and I was doing I was doing more of this connecting stuff, I realized, oh wait a second, I can use the same search function with people. So if I create these columns, so then I was like, okay, well, what columns do I need? I'm like, okay, well, if I create a column that's their industry, if I create a column that's what they need, uh, if I create a column about where they live, like I can search all of these things. And then I can basically find a group of people at a glance. So if somebody tells me, oh, I'm meeting my, uh, I'm going to be visiting LA, I can basically just filter the spreadsheet for LA as the location and I can give them the names of 10 people that I think they should meet in LA. And it takes me a couple of minutes to do that. Right. Wow. So how does someone get on there? How do you decide who cut makes the cut? Yeah. So basically I categorize my meetings in three, uh, three categories. Uh, and the first uh, I refer to as the, the great meeting, uh, the fantastic meeting, however, you know, whatever superlative you want to use. But it's uh, basically the way I look at it is, did I have a great conversation with this person? Did we talk about more than just professional stuff? Did it feel like I legitimately connected with them and enjoyed talking to them and enjoyed who they are? And were we helpful to each other in that conversation? And that doesn't necessarily mean that they sent me business or they made an introduction or, or you know, any, any of those things. It could very simply be that they had great information while we were talking. They had great insights on like, they're super smart, you know, whatever it is. If they fall into the great category, they're on the spreadsheet. Um, the next category I call the two-way pitch meetings. And the two-way pitch meetings are the ones with like the very, they're very businessy sort of networky people, right? So like, these are the people who are like, tell me a little bit about you. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about me. And let's talk about you know, how we can do this business together and what's a good referral for you and all this other, you know, stuff uh, that does not, uh, you know, intellectually excite me. So, so by the time I get to the end of that, I basically decide, okay, based on this two-way pitch, did I feel like there was something other than the two-way pitch? Did I feel like I was talking to somebody who would be a resource as opposed to just a service provider? Um, and if I felt like I, there was still a connection there, they end up on the sheet. If, they're, if not, they end up on a separate part of the sheet that is just for acquaintances. So that's mm. for me to basically say, okay, you said you needed somebody to work on this thing for you. I don't know them that well, but here's the name of somebody who does this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then the last tier of meeting uh, is the one that I try to avoid like the plague, um, I call it the, uh, the two, uh, I call it the, uh, steamroller meeting and the steamroller meeting is where I get to be Bruce Willis in the sixth sense. Um, I basically, mm. uh, just, uh, stand there while this person pitches, uh, and tries to tell me what they want me to do or what they want me to do for them. And they never ask me about me. And it's just this like long yeah. drawn out pitch. Um, and those people, I just like, I don't, continue the conversation because I have no patience for, for people who have no interest yeah. <laughs> in, uh, you, you know, in supporting the people that they're talking to. I yeah. think that, I think that most people give too much uh, credibility to that last category 
And especially when they think about networking, they that's who they think about and that's who they that's who they see and interact with the most. And they haven't learned to just disregard and go look for those better connections. They kind of just get stuck with the steamroller guy at an at a event being pitched at. And then they think, oh, this event really was horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you're like, I smell you from a mile away. I don't want any. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it, it comes down to uh, the fact that so many people are so thoughtful about you know, what they put into their bodies, right? If you talk to people about like the food that they're eating and, and, you know, all these, you know, all these things that they worry about with chemicals and all this other stuff, but find me a, a handful of people who are as thoughtful about who they bring into their life. Like it's, it's one of these things that we forget that we have the ability to choose who is in our lives. And very, very often it, that aspect is just forgotten. We, we don't, you know, think about it. So we let ourselves be in many cases in networking scenarios, victimized by these, you know, first year financial advisor, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, multi-level marketing, real estate agents, real estate, you know, like all these people, yeah. like they dominate the conversation and they don't really care about you. And we can choose not to deal with them. Right. We can choose to stay away from them. We yeah. have that choice. We have that option. Uh, and I think a lot of people get concerned about like a lot of time when I want to talk to people about saying no or, um, deciding that you're going to focus your attention somewhere other than, you know, some of the people who are currently coming to you, there's always this feeling of, well, I feel bad, you know, I feel bad, you know, and, and ultimately what it comes down to is you have to make the decision in your life. Are you letting disappointment make the decision for you? Or are you making your own decision? Mm -hmm. Are you letting yourself not do the things that you want to do because you're worried about how somebody else is going to feel? Or are you, making the decisions based on the things that you're trying to accomplish. Well, and, and I, I talk to you about the fact that if someone is being so inconsiderate, um, why are you worrying about, why are you being considerate to them? <laughs> like, yep, totally. like, it's like, thank you. We're done here. Like, I, yeah. I mean, um, cause you try really hard to say all the nice things. Oh, it was really nice meeting you, you know, good talking to you and you're like ready to walk away and they're like, can I have your card? You know? And, and it's this whole thing. Um, but I tell people like just because that's who you've seen networking, that doesn't mean that that's what that is, and doesn't mean the that networking events in total are bad. But you could be very selective about where you put your energy. I love the idea of like, you know, if you're thoughtful about what you put in your body, be thoughtful about who's in your network. You know, um, I, now I'm forgetting his name. Who says the the you're the five people in your world? Oh, uh, Jim Rohn. Yeah, what a great quote. Can you do you remember the full quote? Uh, you're a product. I think, yeah, I think it's either you're the average or, uh, or the product yeah, the, of the five, the, yeah. the five, you know, top people in your network. Or something yeah. Like. The five people you surround yourself with. It's just, it's important to think about like who those people are. So I'm happy, Michael, that you're one of those people for me. I'm thrilled that we had this conversation. And now I'm wondering where can people find you and follow your work? 
Sure. Uh, so I have a, a website, which is just uh, smallpondenterprises.com. Uh, if you hop on there, there is a uh, download called Hang With Your Heroes that kind of breaks down a lot of the psychology around how people reach out to folks that seem out of reach. Uh, so, uh, you know, they can uh, sign up from, from there. I also do a daily email that they can sign up for uh, once they get the Hang With Your Heroes thing. I'm very active on social media, and I also co-host a podcast uh, around relationship building called Access to Anyone uh, with my friend Michael Shine, and that's just accesstoanyonepodcast.com. I highly recommend everyone reach out to you. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for the encore of episode 73. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which are your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to follow for free so that you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who has achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions and get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey, how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.